Hello, I'm Crystal Grafton Combs, and you're listening to Coffee Talk with Crystal. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you have joined us before, welcome back. This podcast is a personal project designed to connect with the women of Alpha Omicron Pi and our greater community of sisters and friends. Sometimes I will answer questions from our sisters, and others I will invite friends to do the same. So thank you for listening, and now let's get to my next conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Carly Peterson Loth. How are you? I am well. How are you? I am so excited for this conversation. I have to tell you. (laughs) I'm so honored. You have no idea. I am absolutely flabbergasted that you picked me to have this conversation with. You are um, absolutely the perfect person, I think, (laughs) to be a part of this series. For anyone that is listening, they will have heard several by now. And I think you are just a most fascinating person. And in all fairness to our listeners, um, I do know you. I count you among my friends and sisters, but I do not know you so well that this will not be a very interesting conversation for the both of us. And yet, I am fascinated by your story because of what I see on social media and what we have talked about in our intermittent conversations in you know months past. So let's get right to it. And I would okay. love to start with you sharing your AOPI story. So a little background, I'm adopted. I grew up in a town called Reading by um, two white parents and they already had a daughter. So I was the, the token child at the end um, of their family. Uh, I decided to go to college um, in my hometown and then I transferred to Cal State Northridge as a sophomore. I played sports my whole life, huge sports fan, um, probably the opposite of a stereotypical sorority girl. Somehow, some way, I got invited to a COB event in a park and I met a whole bunch of wonderful um, girls back then that were all different um, race, Asian, African-American, black, um, Hispanic, and white. And they said that I could play sports with them and I was hooked. I, I said, okay, well, that sounds good, thinking I'll just try it out and see what happens. And, um, at Sigma Phi was when I was initiated, I think back in 94, right after the earthquake. Um, so it was a very weird time to be at Cal State Northridge, um, but nothing I do is normal. so i i went to school there and i i was initiated and i swear i've been hooked ever since our ritual is something that i truly believe in um a hundred percent i wish i could scream it from the rooftops to everyone i know because i think it would make everyone a better person when you're having any kind of struggle it's always there to steer you right but uh, that's how I became an AOPI. Uh, so let me ask you this. 
you, to your point, a little bit of a different introduction to it. And your chapter was quite diverse, particularly for that decade. It is the same that I pledged. And yet I would imagine you have had some challenges by virtue of the fact that you do identify as a woman of color, you were raised by white parents, and you are now in a sorority that while diverse in its individual chapter, certainly, I mean, to this day, we still have and should be having these conversations. So talk to me a little bit about that. So the year that I became president was the same year as our centennial. I was able to go to convention in New York, um, which was absolute an honor, but also shockingly revealing to the race that I was seeing in the room. Um, and I kind of had noticed it a little bit before going to Founders Day. Um, but I live in California and a lot of our chapters are, were and are pretty diverse. But once you're a small fish in a big pond at convention, <laughs> there was a handful of colored people in the room. And, you know, there's the looks that you get. I've definitely been to a few conventions where I've walked down the hall and both parties are wearing letters and I say hi and I get looked straight through like I'm not even in existence. And I've been like the only brown person in the room with other leadership, you know, meetings and whatnot and thinking, is this where I need to be? And is this where I should be? And again, I, Crystal, I always go back to our ritual. You know, our ritual isn't biased. Our ritual isn't um, segregating. Our ritual doesn't talk about color. It talks about love and uh I always have to remind myself if someone hurts my feelings, it's, it's them, it, it can't concern me. I do what I wanna do and I love AOPI so much that you just gotta move forward and hope that it changes. And throughout the years, I, I believe a black lady got sister of the year at a convention or two ago and I was absolutely excited, you know, I. I should have gone up to her and, you know, said something and, you know, you always think of the coulda, shoulda, woulda, but I always had wondered where AOPI stood in the race card and where we were going and how we were going to get there. But I want to remind you of a conversation that we had when I told you that... I you know, know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm kind of like a an Oreo cookie or a coconut, you know, like I'm brown on the outside and white on the inside. And, and we had a good laugh, but over the last four weeks of what's transpired in our country has really made me think, well, why am I a coconut? Why am I brown on the outside and white on the inside? Am I trying to whitewash myself so much that I blend in to be around the people that I surround myself with? Do I want the white privilege to get me to where I need to be? You know, was I not raised with culture of my black of my brown background? Like, so it's been an ongoing conversation in my own mind with my own family and my friends on, you know, how it was funny that you know I am kind of like a, I'm brown on the outside, but you know, raised with white people and 
kind of have a lot of white tendencies too. So I have to, I want to back up because both of those things are significant for different reasons. I did not know that you and I served as chapter president the same year and convention in New York was my very first one. And I was overwhelmed by the entirety of, of yes. the event. I mean, <laughs> I had some sisters that had come up with me from my chapter. We had met there. And even knowing those few sisters, I just just felt so overwhelmed when I walked in yep. the room. Ritual <laughs> with all of these women that I thought, I've, I've never <laughs> seen you and you're saying the same words I am saying. And it was the first time I ever knew that there was more than like a couple of lines in the grace. Like I was like, what are these people singing? And yet, as I passed people in elevators or hallways, like never did I feel unwelcome. Never did I feel as if someone looked through me. Now, some of that is that I am not a small being and I feel like I take up quite a bit of space, but never, well, it's true though, right? I mean, you know, some people do, I am among those, but, but I, but my perspective and my experience, there was never a moment. Yes, overwhelming. Yes, where am I supposed to be? Yes, am I wearing the right thing for the right event? Right? <laughs> because I'm like, what are we changing into now? <laughs> now, of course, I know I have a spreadsheet, right? But never was it. You can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but never... Never was my color a part of that conversation, and never was my color something that I hesitated when I walked into a room. And I, as I have learned over the series of these conversations, is that that is not exclusive to an international event or to one chapter. Like, it is what our sisters of color have felt in many, many situations, whether they are small or large. You mentioned Founders Day. Founders Days in California are big, big events with hundreds of women. And yet sometimes, even when you're with a dozen women, it can be equally as disconcerting is something I have learned. And and, and part of that just makes me so sad because I didn't know it. And I didn't know in 1990-ish, all the years in the decade, but particularly uh-huh. in 97, when we were there, I, I would not have known to reach out my hand and say, come on, sister, let's go find a place, right? Nor do I know if I would have had the courage that first year, but certainly by 99 and by the next right. one and the next one. Right. And, and that part to me indicates one more way that we all need to be aware and present and invite people into the room and to the table and, and in the seat next to us. And the other thing is, I very vividly remember the conversation when you introduced yourself to me and you said, I'm like a coconut. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand that. And I think I actually said to you, I don't understand what you are saying to me. And then you shared that you, you know, have this brown exterior and that you were raised by these white people through adoption. And I thought, wow. I'm going to like this person, but it's not because I like coconuts. (laughs) And it was just a fascinating conversation. My question becomes, 
is it because that's how you really identify or is it because that's how we that we force you into that explanation when there shouldn't have to be one does that make any sense at all yes i just wrote down your question because i'm going to back up a second we probably stood in line together at a convention way back in the day and didn't even realize it absolutely crystal i actually owe you an apology oh Okay. I do, because not all white people are judgmental. You know, I first saw you probably 20 years ago, and because sororities have stereotypes, I looked at you and thought, wow, you are the typical sorority girl. You're tall, you're blonde, and you're probably not that smart. <laughs> and, right? Because I watched Nerd. I watched the movies. I joined a sorority having no idea what I was getting myself into. Zero. And then I show up and there's all these women and all these people and I know nothing. And because I judged and I apologized to you 100% because I judged you without knowing you. And then after today, I like you even more than I did a few years ago, learning (laughs) that we have so much in common, so much in common. It blows my mind. How could I judge you? How could I have done that? And people do that because we're human. We're raised a certain way to feel a certain way, to think a certain way. We were not born this way, but through society, through friends, through whatnot, I had all the voices telling me what I thought a sorority girl was, and you were it. And come to find out, you are an amazing woman that's super, super smart, that's open-hearted and kind and caring and generous, and I I hope you accept my apology. Well, friend, if I had known that's where this conversation was going to go, I would have been a little bit more prepared. Um, Absolutely. You know, Carly, we all judge people, whether we mean to or not. Right. And I guess the beauty of that is I never knew you thought that. And yet, I don't fault you for that at all. I mean, that's one of those things immediately. It's why we put our best foot forward on a first date or for the first round of recruitment because we are aiming for the world to see the best in us, but we can only control so much of that, right? Like it's inherent in who we are. And there are so many times that I have met people and thought, we won't be the best of friends and been blown away or that I have thought, oh, we would, and it just never manifested. So you do not owe me an apology, friend, but that is hysterical and something really fascinating to learn. (laughs) It is something that I bring up because I think these conversations are beneficial for everyone. I think having awkward, hard conversations make friendships, sisterhood, Um, better, stronger, and moving in the same direction. You know, once we can shed all the yuck, all that's left is, you know, our friendship and ritual. And we have a lot more in common than we once thought. You know, when when we think we're far apart, we have a lot more in common. So that's that's kind of why I shared. and And I also encourage others to have those awkward conversations with people because it will only make your relationship stronger. 
So it's interesting that you say that because as I've been preparing for this series, I know that I'm not always going to ask the right things or to get to the right place. And I was actually having a conversation with my family about this series and, and the conversations and what I've learned. And and I said to my husband, the children were also at the table. And, and I said, you know, it is sometimes so uncomfortable. And yet I find that it is so necessary. And it was one of my children, and and he said, but mama, if it wasn't uncomfortable, then it wouldn't be worth having the conversation. And he was not wrong, because the most uncomfortable moments, and really uncomfortable only because I have realized how tremendously much I did not know. And whether it's because I didn't look or didn't, didn't have the incentive to know and didn't have the right people in my life to say, hey, pay attention, mm-hmm. or had the right people and never gave them a chance to say, sister, this is what you need to know. And right. and I have wonderful women of color in my life, and we have had conversations that have blown my mind over and over. And these are women I've known for years and never knew that they felt uncomfortable going into a chapter house or had a conversation that left them feeling less than or dot, dot, dot. I mean, just any number of things that I think I remember that conversation and I could have said whatever, intervened, said that's not appropriate, and yet I didn't know to do it. And as I'm learning, I'm taking notes, literally, right? But there is so much left to know and to learn, particularly from my lens, because while you and I have learned recently that we have many, many things in common, we still have so many things that I will never truly experience, but I can work to understand, right? Right. Um, So let's talk about that a little bit, because I love and adore your social media feed. I think you are one of the most just outstanding women when it comes to being an advocate for children, for women, for people of color. I, and and so I was sharing this with you before we got started in some of these recent conversations, many of my sisters that I've talked with have talked about the social media feeds going back to normal and how as things get normal, we can't return to normal. We have the opportunity for this to be a true point of change where in years down the line, women of our fraternity will say, this was the time. And yet the social media feeds are going back to normal and there's less in the news. And I was scrolling through yesterday and I see your post on social and all it says is Brianna Taylor, that's all. And I was like, Yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. So what I would love for you to share with us is what do you want people to know about this experience, about how to continue to be an ally, about how to not let things go back to the comfort and the normal? So I have a lot of thoughts running through my head. That's a that's an interesting question. One thing is there's so many things 
that I want to change that it's overwhelming, right? Um, I have two foster kids in my house, one that's adopted, one that's we're trying to adopt. So the, the ISIS children, I don't even know what they're called and what their um, arrangements are right now, but yesterday that broke my heart. I wanna fight for that too. The all Black Lives Matter is weighing on me. Um, the trans women that are getting harmed weighs on me. But like you, like four weeks ago, it wasn't even in my brain. There were times that I could have said something. There was times that I could have changed things. There was times that, you know, I, I should have stood up for someone. And for some reason, you know, it just wasn't in my wheelhouse. It wasn't in my priority list. It wasn't in my mind. And I think when this all went down, you know, they say enough is enough. But truly for me, enough is enough. And I just can't stop worrying about my friends. You know, I was watching Selma or the 13th Amendment, and I said to my husband, how do, how do black people leave their house? Like, I am so scared for my friends, my dear, dear friends that are black, my son's godfather's Jamaican and black. Like, how do they leave their house? Like, I'm so, so scared and I don't want it to go back to normal and I don't really have the time or the funds or the means, but the one thing that I can control is social media. The one thing I can control is how much I read and how much I watch and um, how much I can learn. Um, try and change the conversations amongst family and friends, though fortunately I have really open-minded family and friends probably for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, that's, that's where I'm at. I just, I don't want to go back to the way it was. I don't want to go back to me being a camel with its head in the sand thinking that, you know, I live with rainbows and unicorns and butterflies, you know, and everybody wants to live in that world. And before the pandemic we were, and you know, this pandemic has really taken a toll on, you know, I don't, I just don't want it to go back to normal. I don't want my friends to be scared to leave the house. And some of my friends are literally scared to leave their house. Well, and to that point, that means that there is still so much to do. Yeah. I mean, in a world where a person of any color cannot leave their homes without fear, and that's not an exception. That is real life. Like, when I get ready to leave my house, the only thing I'm worried about is whether or not I have my keys. Right? Maybe the children, <laughs> if they're supposed to be with me, I'm like, grab your all the things. Um, your mask now, your that, keys. So yeah. that is true. I do keep a mask in my car at all times because I can't seem to, to keep it anywhere else. And I mean, and, and I live in a place and work in a place that has them, right? And I still, I keep one in the bottom of my handbag now. But if that's my only fear, then it's my job now to make sure that everyone that I pass along the way can share 
in that experience. And to your point, there are some people, I guess, who have all the money, but for most of us, we live on a budget. And, and so how do we, you know, pick and choose those things? And I read something recently that said, you know, you don't have to be a millionaire to make change. You can rent the, the movie that is directed by the black director right. on, you know, Amazon or Netflix or whatever these things are. You can buy right. a book written by a black author and support black communities in that way because there is such an amazing amazing um, genre of music you can download in I don't know how all this works but if you download stuff in Spotify <laughs> apparently people are making money I don't know and and I've learned recently about Spotify playlists and now I've learned about a, 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 um, an artist her that's the most fascinating new download I've ever found and it, it's now connected me to new music I've never heard of and and each of those things while independently seems to be invaluable, opens up the conversation so that then when I meet a sister of color and she references a book, I'm like, oh wait, I know that just like I know the person who wrote whatever, whatever. And, right. and, and it's, it has kind of blown my mind a little bit how just those simple things have opened the doors to greater conversations that I didn't even know I could have. And I think that it's really important that people not feel like they can't make a difference because they don't have a million dollars to give to a cause. Or maybe they're not the person that wants to march, but they could be the person that shared a message on social right. media. Um, and as we are talking about making a difference in these micro ways, we often talk about microaggressions, but there are also micro possibilities that we can take advantage of. When we talk about opening those doors, particularly to potential women who could be our sisters, mm -hmm. what would you offer to our members who, who would say to you, I am open to that, but how do, how do we do it? Like, how do, we, how do we open those doors for women of color to be a part of our sisterhood? Or better yet, or maybe just in addition to, the women of color who are here to make them feel like this is their space, like this is also their home. Because what I'm learning is that they are here, but this is not home. And I always felt like it was home and that it was safe. And that if I went anywhere in the world that I could find an AOPI chapter or an AOPI sister and be safe. And I don't know that all, in fact, it's not even that I don't know it. I do know that all of our women of color who are sisters do not feel that way in our chapters. So I wonder what you would offer our women to help create that space. Well, I think, first of all, what you guys did as, a, as headquarters staff and, and at the board, I think making a stand when you did and saying what you guys did about all lives matter, all black lives matter, um, really cemented for me where the sorority stood because until that moment I had no idea you know most of our chapters are huge in the south and whatever's going on you know the, the south and I, I honestly didn't know where where you guys where we stood in the sand in this line of 
who belongs and who doesn't. So that meant a lot to me. Granted, it's just a post and words and actions speak louder than words. But um, I think it would be interesting to see and, and having more conversations, having Zoom meetings open to anyone that would like to talk about it. I, you don't want to segregate people. Okay, all the all the colored people have your own Zoom. Like that would be awkward too. But I think it would be interesting to get or to have a few people be hosting the conversation, comfortable talking about it, wanting to share their their experience, and then seeing who in the membership wants to step up to partake in it or to just listen. Because over the last four weeks, I myself have learned so much that, you know, I think just listening to people share really cements, wow, I, I haven't been paying attention and I need to pay attention now. And, and really giving a platform for people to voice how they feel. And the last thing, and, and I've talked about it a few times, which is kind of embarrassing for me because I don't really talk about it a lot, is ritual. You know, like, it bonds us, it tells us right and wrong, it it lays the groundwork for everything, and I know that there's a lot of sisters that it's not the priority of their um, experience, but for me, it is the backbone of my experience because when, pardon me, when the bullshit is going on that's about color or I'm degraded or I'm looked down on or looked up and down, I have to kind of shut that out and be like, well, why, why am I a sister? Why am I here? What's, what is keeping me coming back? And it's because I love the ritual so much. and. You know, I wish I could have shared it with my mom. I wish I could share it with my family. And, you know, I already said it, but, I, you know, I would love to scream from the rooftops. Everyone, live this way! <laughs> <laughs> and every vice president of chapter development and of standards is like, yes, <laughs> shout it from the rooftops, right? Right. So I think, you know, anytime... I was just a network specialist leadership and I had to deal with a lot of standards issues this last year, lots, more than I ever wanted to even think of and chapters dealing with things that I never thought they'd have to deal with. But in any awkward conversation, I'd always ask the two parties, like, have you, have you thought about ritual? Like, is there any way that you could tie ritual into this conversation? Do you need to look at ritual before you have the conversation? Do you, do you want to talk about ritual after the conversation? Are you minding your P's and Q's? Like, I always feel like that just tells us what to do, you know, in a good way. <laughs> Agreed. Well, and it's interesting, not long ago, well, it feels like a hundred years ago now, but not long ago, someone asked me what my favorite part of ritual was. And while, of course, we're not going to start quoting it over a <laughs> podcast, when I got ready to answer the question, what I realized is that it changes as I experience different things or at different phases in my life. And really, 
what I have gone back to recently, much to your point, is I feel like our founders did us a really great service. Because while I think that we, and I've started saying this a lot because it's the way that it seems to make sense to me most is that we have a lot of work to do when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, educating our members on what that looks like in practice. Like how is that not just a module that we present on a Tuesday night in October to check a block and get an award? Right? Like, right? It, like this needs to be part of our conversations. Like when, when a woman of color joins your chapter, how do you not only accept her for who she is, but also celebrate what she brings to the table, not as the one person that is a woman of color in your chapter, but as someone who adds value because of her experiences and it is to me that's how we came to be like we start at the starting line because that's how our founders came to be like right like i can only imagine the lack of comfort in those conversations right when helen and elizabeth and jesse were like what's happening here girls and what are we going to do about it? Because obviously, just like we did, they had opted to go through whatever the process looked like in the late 1800s. I'm imagining it didn't have a whole lot of balloons and things, <laughs> but, but they made this commitment and then they realized the slight that had been given to, to our girl Stella. And, and I can only imagine the uncomfortable conversations that they had. So when I think what I have to say is uncomfortable or what I am hearing is uncomfortable, I just think I'm good because then they <laughs> took it and created what we have, right? And, and yet we pride ourselves on that. And 123 years later, we are still having the conversation that women who are different from the, the standard norm are not welcome in the room. <laughs> just like, oh my right. gosh, we missed it. And yet so, it's right there for us. I learned so much from Billy's preschool class this year. He's four years old, so when he started, he was three. And he goes to Montessori, and they celebrate every single holiday, custom, you name it. They're celebrating every single culture you can imagine. And I learned, I learned so much about other people's cultures from Billy's preschool that I thought, why don't we do this? Why don't we always celebrate everybody's customs and cultures? It's amazing. <laughs> right? Well, and then things have started to pop up on my phone. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Let me go find this. And then, of course, I reach out to my friends. I'm like, I didn't know this was a thing. Happy whatever day. What do we do to celebrate? You know, which years and years ago, I didn't know what the red envelopes meant. In yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to be a better friend. I can send dollars in envelopes. That's so fun. And, of course, so there's, fun. there's such a greater meaning that I needed to learn and understand. But, 
But there are so many things like that, that if we give ourselves the opportunity to learn and to celebrate with our sisters and friends, it becomes so much bigger and not something that they have to do on their own behind closed doors with only the people who know it. Because, you know, I've, I've often thought about Juneteenth this year and I listened to a podcast and, and it was about, was it sadness or a celebration this year in light of all things? And the person talking, she said it was both. And I thought for my friends that celebrate that, my commitment needs to be, how do I celebrate with you? I celebrate with everyone at Christmas and I send my friends cards at Hanukkah and and why am I not celebrating this with you because this was a thing and it was so long overdue but it was a thing right I don't know how 45 years of my life I had no idea embarrassed ashamed I could not believe it right (laughs) same and it is it is just this fascinating look into a culture that I am yeah. not a part of but but would willingly celebrate. Yes. And so I do think there is so much to be said. I would love as we move forward and learn more about one another and I hope that conversations like these inspire that. I hope that someone who is listening will say, why don't I reach out to my friend who I know has posted this? What does that mean? And maybe ask that uncomfortable question. Maybe you should know. Maybe you didn't. But how are you ever going to figure it out? Well, I guess now we Google everything, but that's not the same. <laughs> Google can't tell me the good stuff I want to know, right? And, and so I wonder what you would say to the women who are afraid to even ask. Well... What's great about Instagram is that you can message someone on the side, and I've done this so many times in the last four weeks. Like, hey, Alyssa, I love your posts, but can you explain it to me? (laughs) Or, I think I feel the same way, but I'm not quite sure if I'm supposed to feel the same way. Can you kind of give me a little background on on that post? Um, And I'm... I'm an open book, so anyone can reach out to me and ask me anything. Adoption, foster care, sports, books, <laughs> though I'm not on the book club as high as you guys. I'm going to get there one of these days because uh, I wrote down some of your books that you uh, talked about on the podcast, but I'm, I'm pretty open. If, if you want to talk about um, gender, <laughs> anything... I'm, I'm here to have that conversation. So if anyone wants to reach me on Instagram, it's at CarlyP1222, or, you know, you can find me other ways. But like I said, I'm, I'm here to have any conversation you like, because I usually learn something from every awkward, fun conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Carly. I cannot thank you enough for being part of this awkward, fun conversation. This has been this has been amazing. And for anyone who doesn't follow you, I highly encourage them to. You are such a breath of fresh air and honesty oh. and hope and all the things. 
And I appreciate your insight and your willingness to share your perspective. What I would ask you now is you do, you have mentioned a couple of times, you do foster children, you foster to adopt, and you encourage this of anyone who is interested and willing and able. What is your hope for these children? What do you hope they experience? I don't think any child should not be loved. And my hope is that every child gets the, like I told you earlier, I won the lottery ticket with my parents. Granted, when I was 13, I wouldn't have told you that. <laughs> but being in the situation I am, the age that I am now, I I was very fortunate to have the parents that adopted me. And, you know, there are some really heartbreaking stories out there. And, and these kids are born into this. They didn't choose this. And I just really want... Um, anyone that's able that has an empty room or has time to to do what they can either be a costa or a mentor or foster you know a child um, there's I think 400,000 kids in the foster care system throughout the United States and I think I posted some facts that majority of them are brown and black kids um, which breaks my heart too. So, you know, if anyone wants to talk about that, how the process works, I'm more than willing to do that. It's just really important to me that kids, um, they can't fight for themselves sometimes and they need adults like us to do that. Absolutely. Tell me where people find more information about that. Um, Together We Rise is an awesome organization. Uh, Adopt Together is another one. Um, my agency in California and LA is Extraordinary Families. They do a phenomenal job um, with uh, foster families and uh, information. They also have older uh, program for older foster kids that are about to age out of the system that need mentors and guidance. Um, because once you turn 18, you're basically homeless. So mm -hmm. if, if you don't have a mom or dad or grandma or a foster parent that's willing to help you out, um, you're just out there by yourself. And that's, that's scary and, and it's really sad. So there are tons of ways that you can help kids. I love everything about this. And I actually think you are part of an extraordinary family. <laughs> and I appreciate you being a part of our AOPI family and sharing your experiences. Carly, I cannot wait for this conversation to continue for many, many years into the future. Thank you again. And for everyone out there listening, as always, thank you. And until next time, stay safe and be well. Mm -hmm.